Gospel of John chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. And then at the end, I'll uh, read from John chapter 1, verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village and was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, uh, who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then from John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a word. We're still living in the midst of a pandemic. And I know because of that, some of us maybe we're losing some things that we're used to. We're losing some of the holiday or the Christmas traditions that we're used to. Um, maybe you can't get together with your friends or have office parties or exchange gifts or gather with relatives or do some of the traveling that you're used to doing. But uh, even so, even though there's a lot of things that may be different about this Christmas season, I do think it has the potential to be one of the most meaningful Christmas uh, holidays for us. And the reason I say that is because 2020 uh, has been a rough year. Uh, it's been you know, a very sad, exhausting, and frustrating year for most people. And most of us you know, probably know someone that has lost a loved, loved one. Uh, I think COVID has meant that you know, people couldn't have the, the normal funerals and go through the normal grieving processes and had to adjust the ways that they've grieved. And people have lost jobs. People have lost businesses, uh, even in our community. Uh, if you have children, you know, schools have probably been a source of anxiety and frustration. Uh, if you're in the medical field or if you're in the education field or if you're in some other field where COVID has made your work exponentially more difficult, you're probably tired and anxious and frustrated as well. And uh, if you had COVID or thought you had COVID at some point, uh, that's probably another level of stress because then you had to figure out you know, how to get tested, whether to quarantine, right, who to tell, uh, all those kinds of things. And um, you know, it's just been a hard year. 
And I am going to bet that there's probably more tension in some of your relationships, whether it's in spousal relationships, parent-children relationships, employer-employee relationships. Um, those tensions have certainly contributed to uh, a tough year. But that's why I think this Christmas actually has the potential to be one of the most meaningful uh, that we have ever experienced because I think we will be able to appreciate and see the light of Christmas better than uh, because we've experienced a lot of darkness. You know, it's hard to appreciate light um, when there's light everywhere. Uh, it's hard to appreciate light in New York City because there's always lights everywhere. But, you know, I remember being in the woods in upstate New York and, uh, you know, it's just a vivid memory of like being in such darkness that I couldn't even see my hand in front of my own face. And that kind of darkness is scary, you know, not just to children, but it's scary to adults as well. And I remember like being in that darkness, you start to get a little bit anxious because, you know, you can't, you literally can't see the tree in front of you. Uh, so I'm like walking like this, trying to see if there's anything in front of me. Uh, you, you don't know whether there's bugs or animals around you. You hear like these weird sounds and then your imagination starts to go wild. You feel disoriented. You're not sure which way is like left, right, straight. And so you're not sure if you're going in the right direction. And that, that sounds like 2020 to me. But then someone comes with a, a flashlight or someone car came with a, a car with headlights. And all of a sudden, light starts to shine in the darkness and you start to get your bearings and automatically you start to feel much better. And so, so you see, it's only when you've experienced uh, that kind of darkness where you can really appreciate the light and feel the, the warmth or the hope that comes from the light. And because I think 2020 has been such a dark year, I think the Christmas message is like that bright flashlight that we need that pierces through the dar darkness and gives us the comfort and the hope that we need. The message of Christmas reminds us that God is the one who entered into this sadness, into this frustration, and he came in the person of Jesus in order to give light in darkness, in order to give hope in despair, in order to give joy in hardship. Now, there was this uh, essay that I read yesterday. It came out yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, and it was called The Darker Side of Christmas. And the author writes that, you know, in a pandemic year, a lot of people are celebrating Christmas under this shadow of grief and uncertainty. And then she reminds us that actually Christmas has oftentimes carried more than just a hint of darkness. Uh, for example, you know that song, uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas? That song was written during World War II. And it was written for soldiers who were unable to be with their families during Christmas time because they were out uh, fighting a war. So that line, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams, right? It sounds beautiful, but there's a sadness there because in that line, it speaks to the fact that a lot of these soldiers couldn't be home for Christmas. Are you laughing at my singing, you people? Anyway, <laughs> the famous uh, Charles Dickens novel, right? A Christmas Carol. There's a lot of darkness in that story as well. Even though it leads to a happy ending, the story starts off very bleak. It's a cold Christmas Eve, seven years after the death of Ebenezer Scrooge's business partner. Scrooge is not a happy man. Uh, he especially dislikes Christmas. And so when somebody gets grouchy during Christmas, what do you call them? A Scrooge, right? Based on Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, and so even in that story, even though it leads to this happy ending, it, it starts off with a lot of darkness. And then you have the Bible's depiction of Christmas itself. And uh, I don't think this part gets much attention, but you have Herod, and he's killing all male children under the age of two in Bethlehem. Uh, that is incredibly dark. So Christmas has always been accompanied by darkness. 
that's precisely where we discover the hope of Christmas, when that light, the birth of our Savior, Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, when that light pierces into that darkness, revealing a way through the darkness and out of the darkness. And so perhaps more than any other year that we've experienced, this Christmas, I believe, has the potential to encourage us greatly because Jesus is light and we've experienced so much darkness. And so I think for a non-traditional year, uh, I decided I'm going to preach from a non-traditional Christmas text or a text for this Christmas message. And I want to look at a story about a family, a family of siblings. And in this family, a brother named Lazarus, he's died. And we see how Jesus ministers to his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And you probably don't remember, but we actually looked at this story during Easter as well. And we looked at it on Easter because it does illuminate the hope of the resurrection. But I also think the story illuminates the beauty of Christmas. You know, in the prologue of the Gospel of John, it tells us the word became flesh. But sometimes I think it helps to associate that statement, the word became flesh, with a story that shows us what that actually looked like with a story that activates our imaginations to really the beauty of the incarnation. And this story shows us part of what it meant for the word to become flesh. One of the most powerful displays of Jesus' humanity is found in his tears when he weeps with Mary over the death of Lazarus. And that's what I want to reflect on as we think about the meaning of Christmas. Now, uh, one of the reasons I'm preaching from this passage is actually uh, very personal to me. This is a passage that has been on my mind in recent weeks. And some of you know, my aunt passed away recently and it was unexpected and it was pretty devastating for my entire family. And, you know, our families grew up together. We spent, you know, holidays together. And as far as extended family goes, we were pretty close. And so it was really painful to lose her. But, you know, in the midst of that pain and grief, this is a story that, you know, just kept popping into my mind. And this is a story that ministered to me. And of course, is the obvious reason that uh, it ministered to me because it says something about the resurrection because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And of course, that's the message of Easter and that's the message that Martha needed to hear. Uh, but even though Lazarus was dead and that he would be raised to life, um, Mary, I think, needed something a little bit different. Uh, Jesus's response to Mary uh, during, I guess, my time of grief was actually a great source of comfort to me. You see, when Jesus comes to Mary, he sees her weeping, and the text says he is deeply moved. Then he does something that is so simple on the surface, but really profound if you think about it. He wept, right? Jesus wept. Uh, if you're into Bible trivia, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, but you can't equate the brevity of it for the depth of it. Uh, because I do think it is one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. When I thought about how Jesus wept with Mary over the death of Lazarus, you know, it actually brought me to a place of awe and wonder, even in the middle of grief. And I hope you can experience a, a little bit of that this Christmas season. You know, if I were to ask you, what is more surprising, that Jesus would come and he would kind of fix the situation and raise Lazarus back to life, or that Jesus would sit with Mary and weep with her. What would you say, right? 
well, maybe if you're uh, used to a naturalistic worldview and maybe not used to the miraculous, I can see why you might say, well, the most more surprising thing is for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, after all, miracles by definition are extraordinary. But you know, for me, I actually think the more surprising response from Jesus is that he would weep with Mary over the death of Lazarus. And the reason I say that uh, is because, you know, if Jesus is divine, if Jesus his, in his character is compassionate and gracious, if Jesus is the one who can still and calm storms, then it makes sense to me that he would raise Lazarus, even though you don't see people resurrected four days after their death very often. But for Jesus to weep over the death of Lazarus, that is shocking to me. Why is he weeping? Well, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And that means if you believe in Jesus, you will be raised with Christ. And that's, of course, what he's telling Martha. That's why Paul says those who have died, aren't they're not really dead, but they've merely fallen asleep. Sleep is a temporary state, and the resurrection will be like waking up from our slumber. And Jesus would certainly know this. And he probably also knows that Lazarus would get an early taste of that resurrection because he literally is resurrected in the very next scene. And given all this information of what you would think Jesus already knows, why is he weeping, right? Why does he weep? Why not tell Mary, Mary, don't worry, right? I got you. I'll raise Lazarus back to life and everything will be okay. Why doesn't Jesus do that? I don't know. He doesn't do that. He weeps with her. But I do think Jesus's tears demonstrate something about the depths that Jesus would go in his incarnation to become like us and to be with us. You see, he wasn't like a tourist who uh, maybe visits a memorial and reads some names and reads some stories and uh, maybe starts to feel bad, uh, but still kind of personally disconnected from those stories. Uh, Jesus is personally invested in the stories of our lives, which means he is also personally invested in all the grief that comes with it and all the pain and all the sorrow that comes with it. He mourns over death because he, of all people, knows death was not supposed to be part of God's good creation. He, of all people, knows how much of an intruder death is to the life that God intended for us. And yet, in Lazarus and in the weeping of Mary, Jesus identifies so closely with us through his incarnation that he feels the personal, emotional impact of death. And he joins us in grieving over it. You know, grief, it, um, grief really stinks, right? Nobody wants to feel the pain of grief. Nobody in their right mind would want to choose to enter into the pain of grief. And in our culture, more than probably any other culture in history, uh, people are uncomfortable with grief and sadness and ill-equipped to handle the painful reality of death. Uh, you know, a long time ago, I read this book uh, about grief. It's called Holding On to Hope, and uh, it's written by someone who lost her newborn daughter after only 199 days, uh, and she lost her daughter to this rare genetic disorder. And um, in this book, she's just kind of talking about the experience and, um, you know, how her grief interacted with her faith and her experiences and things like that. And regarding grief, she also recognizes our culture is uncomfortable with sadness, and she says our sadness and tears they beckon to be shared, but people don't quite know what to do with it. And after she lost her, her infant daughter, you know, people, she says, people were afraid to 
bring up her loss because they didn't want to upset her and make her cry. Not realizing that what she needed was for people to actually bring it up and to cry with her. But then there were those who um, wouldn't try to avoid tears, but they would share her tears and they would cry with her. And so she writes, she says, your tears tell me you care. And I will never forget your willingness to share my grief. In fact, those who shed their tears with me show me we are not alone. It often feels like we are carrying this enormous load of sorrow. And when others shed their tears with me, it is as if they are taking a bucket full of sadness and carrying it for me. It is perhaps the most meaningful thing anyone can do for me. Tears, the meaning, the importance of tears. Now, based on her experience of grief, you can see why Jesus's tears would be so meaningful. When anyone weeps with you, when anyone shares your grief, it's meaningful. You know, when I heard the news that my aunt had passed away, uh, you know, in my house, my parents live uh, in the apartment above. So my mom came down uh, to our apartment and, you know, she was in tears and she says, you know, uh, that my aunt had passed away. And then, <clears throat> you know, and then, um, you know, my wife and I, we went upstairs and we just, you know, all wept together. And of course, my heart hurt for many reasons. You know, I lost my aunt, my uncle lost his wife, uh, my cousins lost their mother, my cousin's children lost their grandmother, you know, my dad, my aunts, they lost his sister. And, you know, the only thing you can do in that situation is, is just shed tears and weep. But, you know, in the midst of deep pain, there is something about weeping together that connects you to one another as you share your grief. And I, I don't know if uh, I would say you feel better about it. I don't think you ever feel better about it, but it does make you feel less alone in your grief. Now imagine this, Jesus, the word made flesh is with you and he weeps with you. As I said, it's meaningful when another person does it, but it takes on a whole nother level of meaning when Jesus does it. It's one thing to know another person cares, but to know the God of the universe cares for you to that degree is astounding. It's one thing to know that another person is with you, but it takes on another level of meaning when it is the God of glory who is with you. It's one thing to know another person, in the words of this author, is taking a bucket full of sadness and carrying it for you, but it takes on a whole another level of meaning when it is the Lamb of God who carries that bucket full of sadness to the point of taking it, the sadness of sin and death, on the cross and carrying it for us so that we might be freed from the entirety of that burden. That's what Jesus did. And that's why he incarnated and was born as a baby. That's what makes Christmas so meaningful. And so you see, you know, thinking of Jesus' tears uh, in that moment of grief, in that time of grief, it really, honestly, it did fill me with this great sense of awe because, you know, that kind of combination of, of love and truth and compassion and selflessness and humility and grace and power, it can't be matched anywhere else, right? Can't match it anywhere else. You can, of course, look for analogs of it, but then when you factor in who Jesus is, that he's divine, that he is holy, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, 
all of those analogies ultimately break down. You know, of course, uh, over the years of Christmas seasons, I've heard many of them. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share one with you. The, one of the most memorable analogies I've heard from a Christmas message, uh, this comes from a pastor. If you remember Pastor Francis, he, uh, he covered for me when I had COVID back in March. But he has this like great illustration <laughs> about, about the, uh, the Christmas message. And he tells a story when he was a youth pastor. Uh, you know, as a youth pastor, he had to organize retreats. And if anything went wrong, you know, of course, the kids come to him and he kind of has to fix it. So at uh, one of these like, you know, old in the woods, like retreat centers, usually the toilets aren't great and they don't work super great. And so one of his kids clogged the toilet, right, with, the, with number two. And so they go to the youth pastor and say, pastor, uh, I clogged the toilet. Can you help me fix it? So he, he goes to the toilet and, uh, you know, in this he looks in the toilet and there's like this poopy water and he bends over. When he bends over, he had a pen in his pocket, right? This pen falls into the toilet. And uh, <clears throat> it wasn't just a normal pen. It was actually a very special pen to him because it was the pen his father gave him when he graduated school. And so he's like, oh no, my pen, I gotta get it out. So what does he do? He rolls up his sleeves, right? And he sticks his hand <laughs> in the nasty poopy water. He pulls that pen out. And what he says in the sermon, he says, that's what Jesus did for you right? in the incarnation. So memorable, right? I, I've never forgotten that story. He came into the nasty poopy water into the world too, to bring us out of it, right? That's a great illustration. Now, as great as that illustration is, then you think about who Jesus is and what this world is like. Right? A youth pastor putting his arm in the toilet to get his pen still does not compare to the level of condescension in Jesus' incarnation. That the glorious one, that the holy one came into this world full of muck, full of sin, full of um, brokenness, full of dirt, full of pollution. That he would come and not just stick his arm in it, but his entire person, right? and he would live it, and he would live in the midst of it, and he would do it so that he can bring us out of it. That's astounding, right? What God has done for us is astonishing, and therefore, the only appropriate response is to be filled with awe and wonder. I cannot believe that Jesus did that for us, right? I hope... This Christmas, whatever you're going through, um, frustration, grief, pain, loss, um, whatever it might be, I hope you can feel a sense of that awe of what Jesus has done, of what Christmas really means. You know, 2020 has been as difficult a year for us collectively as I can recall. And of course, I know there have been worse years in history but I think at least for most of us at our age, uh, it's, it's been a tough year. But Christmas tells us that you will find God in the most unlikeliest of places. After all, he was born in a dirty manger. You will find God in your grief. You will find him in your loss. You will find him in your pain. You will find him in your frustration. You will find him in your weakness. You will see his light in the midst of the darkness of living in a broken world, and especially a pandemic year uh, world. And when God meets you in these places, 
Uh, it's not necessarily that the pain and the grief and the frustration go away, but God does give you hope and God does give you wonder so that you don't have to be swallowed up by that grief and pain and frustration. Now, of course, he doesn't do it with great fanfare. After all, he wasn't born uh, to this great parade or celebration. He was born in a dirty manger, right? He doesn't come and do it like Superman and necessarily exercise his infinite power with a, a cape. He comes and he does it with his tears. Where can you turn for light? Where can you find hope? Well, Christmas tells us, turn to Jesus, the light of the world and the hope of the world. Look to the word become flesh, for we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look not only to his uh, resurrection power, don't forget his tears as well, the tears that he sheds because he became flesh. Let's pray together. Um, you know, actually, if Peter, maybe can you play a little uh, guitar in the background? I, I want to give you all maybe a few minutes to, to just pray uh, and to reflect on Christmas. And as I said, I think this has potential to be a really meaningful Christmas for many of us, uh, and not for the typical reasons. Um, but let's ask God to fill us with that awe and wonder that comes from the incarnation of Jesus. <laughs> 